want to do something today which um, I don't think gets done very often. I want to talk about following Jesus, um, but in, in a way with using language that we don't very often use, which I hope you'll find encouraging. I want us to focus on, so I was, Tim said, what are you going to speak about? And all my training in preaching says you've got to have a pithy title, and I haven't got one. <laughs> I can't think of one, but it's kind of, I want us to think about the physical life that we lead as Christians, how we follow Jesus in a physical sense, because I think so often we talk about following Jesus in a spiritual sense, and we talk about our spiritual life, um, and I wonder whether sometimes it's because we don't get enough help in what does that actually mean practically and physically with the equipment that God has given us, you know, we've got, our, we've got bodies, that's what we have, with which to bless the Lord and with which to follow him. Maybe because we don't talk about that quite enough, sometimes we stay immature or we don't, we don't necessarily get how do we grow up and how do we practicalize our faith. There's a lot of jargon about being a Christian. When we talk to one another about how we're doing with the Lord, we use spiritual kind of language. We say things like, how are you getting on spiritually? Um, or we say things like, are you in faith about this, that, or the next thing? Um, or we say things like, this is a weird one, well, what do you feel in your spirit God is saying or doing? I think that's a bit of an odd thing, an odd question to ask, but we ask it of one another. How does, how's that affecting you spiritually? We talk about spiritually spiritual issues when we talk about being a Christian. It's as if we're only spiritual beings, but actually we're physical beings. God made us with bodies. He made us to be physical beings. We're not disembodied spirits. God is spirit, but even he chose to take a, a body when Jesus came. Jesus didn't come not incarnate. He came in a body. Um, so although God is spirit, we, we're spiritual in as much as we've been made alive spiritually when we got born again. But the way we do that, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we operate in the world is with bodies. We have physical bodies. Don't panic if, you, if I'm losing you already. I'm hope, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get somewhere with this. We have bodies. I just want to read you some scriptures um, things that, that the Bible has to say about our maturity in Christ that have to do with our body. Let me just read you some of these. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, it says this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. I like that. We're being sanctified through and through. That's very thorough. God is a very thorough God. It goes on to say, May your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's thorough dealings with us is not just in our spirit. It's not just in our soul. It's in our body. 2 Corinthians 7 says, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. Perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Our holiness 
has physically, look, you can see it physically. It's not just a spiritual thing, it's a physical thing in our bodies. There's a few more. Paul said, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I'll talk a bit more about what that means because he doesn't mean, you know, he whips himself. It's not that kind of beating his body. It's, he's training it. He's, getting, he's pressing it into service. He's making it be useful. He's not, he's not hoping it's all going to happen in the ether somewhere. He's doing something physical to make himself grow. Famous scripture, Romans 6, 13, do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. When I was a younger Christian, I, I was taught that that scripture had, the only thing it was talking about was sex. That's what I was taught. You know, those were the parts of the body it was on about. But I don't think that's true. I think it's all about all of me. All of me has been brought from death to life. And I can offer all of me as an instrument of righteousness. And that's part of my Christian life that I should do that and be conscious of it. I think that's important. 1 Corinthians 6 again says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour your God with your honour your God with your body. And Romans twelve. This is kind of when I said to, to, to you, Tim, I was going to speak about this and thinking about how we how we live our lives for Jesus with our bodies. He said he said immediately, okay, it's Romans twelve then. Romans twelve verse one and two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. The scripture refers to our body and our mind in that sanctifying process. You'll be relieved to know I'm not going to do a kind of big theological, doctrinal, treatise on the, the physical and the material and all of that stuff. I'm not going to do that. Um, I read this phrase in a book once and I put it in my sermon because I liked it. The overachievers of you among you can do that. If you want to do that. If you're an overachiever, go study that for yourself. But if you are an overachiever and you want to do it or an underachiever and you don't know how to do it, I'll give you a few pointers. I'm, this is not what I'm going to talk about, but if you want to study it, you could start with ideas like this. Like I've already said, God created us with a body. Um, God himself was incarnated in a human body. Jesus was raised from the dead with a body. He didn't revert back to just a spiritual floaty thing, you know. He was raised with a body. Um, when God created us with bodies, he said it was good. Everything he made, he said, was good. One day, when we come to glory and we're resurrected as well, we'll have bodies. We'll have renewed and perfect bodies. So if you want to do a study on that, you know, go there. That's fine. But this is what I want to focus on this morning. This is it. I want us to see that we're commanded in Scripture and exhorted and equipped and enabled by the Holy Spirit to cooperate in a physical sense with our bodies in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
And if we don't do anything physical or material or practical or realistic about that with our bodies, and we just wait for God to do everything sort of spiritually, um, we won't mature. We just won't. We won't understand what our life is about properly if we think it's all going to just happen by osmosis somehow. So the challenge is how often do you relate your, your Christian spiritual maturity to what you're physically doing? I think that's quite important. I want to give you a little example. Interestingly, this, this example re- relates to um, Callie, who some of you met. Goes back a few months. I can remember it very specifically. It was one particular Saturday in May. I had plans for my body. I had made some very deliberate plans. They were formed as I was lying awake early in the morning on that particular Saturday morning. And I planned what my body was going to be doing that evening. And it went something like this. I was going to get my body into a very comfortable position, preferably horizontal on the sofa. Although I was prepared, if Steve wanted to be on the sofa as well, to not take up the whole space. I was prepared to get comfy in the corner with my knees tucked underneath me. But it had to do with being comfortable. I was going to be comfortable on that particular evening. Probably my feet would be folded, my arms would be all folded. My hands, though, I had plans for my hands. They were going to be holding a drink. Might have been a nice hot mug of chocolate. Or depending on how the mood was taking me, it might have been, I might have had my hands around the stem of a glass of nice red wine. But something nice and comforting and delicious was was going to be available to my body. My eyes and my ears were destined to be trained on the television set with great eagerness as the Eurovision Song Contest (laughs) took place. Those were the plans I had for my body. And I I was lying in bed that morning thinking, I can't wait. I don't know why it is in our family, but we're a bit crazy about the Eurovision Song Contest. When our kids were at home, they would host parties and we'd have the score sheets and we'd, you know, it was all exciting. And so I spent all day planning, it's great, I'm going to watch the Eurovision Song Contest. And then, about... Uh, maybe about an hour and a half before all this loveliness was due to take place, the phone rang, and Net was on the telephone <laughs> saying, um, it's Dave's birthday, and we want to go out, but we haven't got a babysitter yet. Can you come and look after Callie? Well, imagine what goes on in my mind. First of all, it was like, oh, do I have to? I didn't say that to her, obviously. Don't tell her that. You know, I didn't... <laughs> I didn't say that to her, but I was deflated. I thought, oh, pants. What's going to happen to the Eurovision Song Contest? That was my first reaction, just being completely honest with you. It was. And my body was protesting already because I was thinking, oh, but what about my nice comfy position? And what about my nice warm house? And my telly's better than their telly, and our sound is nicer. and I probably won't watch it anymore. I'll probably miss the, front, the beginning because she won't want to watch it and she won't be asleep. She stays up and I'll have to read stories and play with Barbie dolls instead. And, and I did have a bit of a grousy few seconds. I was on the phone. <laughs> I've had this kind of grousy few seconds. But then I remembered, it says, present your body as a living sacrifice. 
Whoa, okay. I've, I've actually got, I'm being asked to serve here. Something is being, an opportunity to be a Christian, an opportunity to be following Jesus, an opportunity to actually be maturing as a Christian. Here it is, and it wasn't a prayer meeting, and it wasn't a Bible study. It was a leaving my house and going somewhere else and not doing what I'd planned to do having to do something else instead and then having knowing that later I was going to have to leave the Eurovision again because you know how long it is I was, not, I was going to have to leave it in the middle to drive home and it might not be very warm and all of that was going on so I had to press my body into service to bless my friends you see what I mean and this, it's, you think, oh gosh Helen this is a bit convoluted but I'm just trying to help us to see that what we do is how we love the Lord. What we do physically is, is the way we, we bless the Lord. So for me, I had to just get on, get on with it. Now, I've had lots and lots of, of opportunities like that, opportunities, you know, where I've got, I made my own plans, I've got my ideas, and it's not the way it goes. And all of it involves something that I do with my body. I think if we're going to be a servant or an encourager, or a help, or if we're going to be faithful, or kind, or generous, willing, if we're going to be any of those things, to achieve God's glory in and through our lives, we need our bodies to do it. We need our bodies. Don't fool yourself into thinking that the only things that mature you are, the, are your, when you're praying, or when you're Reading, just reading your Bible. I mean, even you even need a body to do those things. We'll talk about that in a little while. We are living sacrifices. We're to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And what's exciting about this is it means that everything we, c we do can be invested with glory. Everything we choose to do suddenly takes on a significance it suddenly has a meaning it has a it's some it's a way to glorify god all of it isn't that incredible i think that's incredible sue asked me to peel the potatoes this morning wow what a wonderful thing you know for my feet to stand in her kitchen and my hands to peel the potatoes i'd have to ask her how to use her very fancy potato peeler she she should see it it's very high tech what you would do and there I was peeling potatoes. And do you know what? That was a, that's an act of worship. Something I'm just doing. That ble blessed you, I hope. And bless the Lord. How fantastic. Don't diminish those things. Don't ever diminish what you actually do with your body. One thing that's true, of course, about having a body and being physical is that we are finite. We can only be in one place at a time. If you're a man, you can only do one thing. We can only be in one place at a time. So that means we have choices. And I think this is where the idea of presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice comes in. Because we have choices to make. I couldn't both watch the Eurovision in the comfort of my own sitting room and babysit Callie. I couldn't do both. So my sacrifice was in that choice. That was my willing Living sacrifice as an act of worship. You can't be in two places at once. One thing that we encounter as church leaders, and I'm sure 
Tim and Sue might encounter it too. I'm just going to tread carefully. I might look at the rafters while I say these things. Is people can't be sitting here and being blessed by the meeting and listening to the sermon and doing all that wonderful spiritual thing where you're being fed in the word, brother, and be out there teaching the children. You can't do two things at once. I've started looking at you. Sorry. And we encounter in our church people who say, well, I don't want to do children's work because it would mean missing the sermons, and I really like the sermons. But you know what? Blessing the children is an act of worship. It's a spiritual thing to do. It's just as spiritual as to sit here and listen to the sermon. Just as spiritual. It's the same. And what I found is when people start doing things like children's work, they suddenly start growing in the Lord because they're trying to teach something to people that they themselves then have got to make sure they know. <laughs> so you grow. It's like, well, I don't like witnessing. I don't like going out and sharing my faith because I don't feel very strong. I don't feel like I'm a very strong Christian, so I'd rather keep quiet in, in case I make a mistake or, or say the wrong thing. Let me just read you a scripture, just if I can, remember, if I can find it. I know what book of the Bible it's in, but I've forgotten its exact reference, so I want to bear with. <coughs> bear with me, I'll get there in a minute. No, I can't find it. Hold on a minute. Da, 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 da. No, okay, it came to my mind. But anyway, there's a scripture that says, um, be strong in sharing your faith so that you will grow. It's worse that effect. It actually says that. So the more you share your faith, the stronger you get. So, in other words, the less you get out of your comfort zone and go and tell people about Jesus, the less likely you are to become really strong in your convictions. That's true. So don't wait until you feel really sure of it all before you get yourself out there. Just get yourself out there anyway. It'll be a blessing to you as well as to them. It's a good thing to do. We can't be... We can't be involved in some, maybe something that the church wants to put on on a Saturday evening that's going to be a blessing to the community or a strength to ourselves or an increase in our faith and go to the cinema. But both could be spiritual because we might go to the cinema with our mates and find that we've really encouraged them and really built them up. So both. We have choices to make. And these choices, interestingly, are ours to make. So when you choose to bunk off early instead of tidying up, remember you made a choice. Maybe you made a choice not to be a living sacrifice. <laughs> a bit hard-hitting, I'm going to need to back off here. Sometimes we have legitimate reasons for bunking off, and you know, sometimes we have legitimate things that we're doing. But what I'm trying to do is make the connection between these practical things that we do every day with our bodies and our maturity in Christ, our strength, our sanctification. It says God is sanctifying us through and through in our body, our soul, and our spirit. It was practical, physical ways that that happens. And it starts to cost us. That's why it says living sacrifice. There's a cost. Now, you know when it's starting to cost you when your mind starts saying things like, yeah, but you know what? It's all about grace. It's not actually about work. There's no law involved. We don't, we don't have to do anything. Now, you're starting to negotiate your way out of having to respond to something that God might be calling you into. 
we had a bit of a joke the other morning, wasn't it, about whether it's more righteous to eat fresh fruit or croissants. So breakfast, and um, you'll be pleased to know that we were all theologically and scripturally wise enough to work out it makes absolutely no difference to our righteousness whether we eat fruit or croissants in the morning because our righteousness is given to us by Jesus. So, you know, that's, that's where law and grace will get us if we're not careful. But anyway, be careful not to reason your way out of obedience on the grounds that that would be legalistic. Obedience is faith. Obedience is a noble, faithful, spiritual walking with the Lord. And it's got nothing to do with legalism unless we think that it's, it's somehow giving us credit with God. We, once we know it isn't, then actually we have an obligation. The word tells us we have an obligation to do the right thing. We have an obligation to live as godly men and women. And it has a physical thing. God is saving us through and through, the whole of us, our soul, our spirit, our mind, and our bodies. And he wants you to be willing in that. He wants you to be a willing, eager cooperator with what he's doing. <coughs> I'm going to share an example about Steve. So don't think he'll mind me sharing. I don't think he'll mind me sharing. He's been losing weight lately. Um, he needed to. So <laughs> he's been losing some weight. The reason he wanted to lose weight was because he became aware that he was less energetic and slightly less effective, really, in the things that God had for him to do. He was getting a bit sluggish, you know, a little bit tired. It was all a bit more of an effort because he'd put some weight on. So he decided, I'm going to lose weight. And then he realized, surprise, surprise, he was doing that as an act of faith, an act of obedience. God, I want to be fit. I want to be effective for you. So you could call that, if you're like, that's a spiritual thing, that's what I need. He's, he was feeling it in his body. So that was the spiritual response. But then he realized, he made a massive discovery that, that needed physical obedience to make it happen. There wasn't something spiritual that was going to be imparted to him, you know, by the laying on of hands that would make him thinner. He had to have physical obedience in that. And this is the way he spoke about it. He realized one of his weaknesses was late night snacking. So do you know what? He had to press his body into service. He had to press his body into obedience to the principle that God had shown him, which was that he needed to be fitter. So when his feet felt like walking to the fridge at kind of half past ten at night so that his arm could open the door and the big light would shine and ooh, Wow. <laughs> I know my husband quite well. <laughs> yeah, our, our, one of our sons is just the same. Opens the fridge and goes... <laughs> he's looking at it. So when his feet wanted to do that, he had to rule over his own feet. We are not going to the fridge. We are not going to open the door. His taste buds are like, oh, but we want to, we want to. It's just so delicious. The cheese and the peanuts. And he's physically, he got an issue. And all the spirituality you could drum up in the whole universe would not have actually dealt with that. He needed a physical obedience. Do you get what I'm saying? So he, that's what he started to do. He started to rule over his own feet and his own arm on the fridge door and his own taste buds. 
He started to rule. He started to take authority in that area and say, this is my act of worship. This is my spiritual act of worship, to present my body as a living sacrifice in this act of obedience to the Lord. And he stopped it. And he's got thinner. And he's getting thinner. And he started running and all that stuff that he, I, I won't do. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Let's not over-spiritualize our obedience. We need... Our body is the application. It absolutely is the application. Even in the, in the disciplines that we tend to think of more usually as the spiritual ones. So even if you're going to read your Bible, you've still got to actually train your body to sit down and open the pages. You know, and if you're me, you have to put your glasses on and you have to get ready and you have to be prepared for it and set aside the time and not be doing something else. There's always a physical aspect to what we're doing. The enemy knows this. I want to just read you something. Um, this is a, in this book, but it's a quote from the Screwtape Letters. Have you heard of the Screwtape Letters? In case anyone hasn't, it, they're written by um, C.S. Lewis, and they, it's a book, the Screwtape Letters, where <coughs> a devil called Screwtape is writing to um, his nephew called Wormwood, who is, he's writing him letters, and Wormwood is also a devil, but he's a sort of a trainee, a bit of an apprentice. And all these devils have believers, and it's their job to distract the believers from growing in Christ. So Screwtape writes Wormwood loads of helpful letters, how you can get your believer to fall away, or how you can get your believer to stay weak. It's very funny, but very insightful. You know, the word says, do not be ignorant of the devil's schemes. And it's it's a book, actually, that helps you to wise up to what the enemy's doing. (coughs) It's a bit, because it's an oldish book, the language is a bit tricky, but I just want to read you this about, this is about praying and the relationship between that, which is, a, that's a spiritual discipline to pray, and the body and how screw tape understands that there's a connection, there's a physical act that's required for praying. So listen to this, he's writing to Wormwood <coughs> and he advises Wormwood to have his man remember or think he remembers the parrot-like nature of his prayers in childhood. In reaction against that, he may be persuaded to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal. And what this will actually mean to a beginner Christian will be an effort to produce in himself a vaguely devotional mood, which will in real connection have... uh, which. Sorry, in which real concentration of will and intelligence will have no part. And he says this, one of their poets, Coleridge, has recorded that he did not pray with moving lips and bended knees, but he merely composed his spirit to love and indulged in a sense of supplication. And then this is what Screwtape, the devil, says. This is exactly the sort of prayer we want. This is exactly the sort of prayer we want. And since it bears a superficial resemblance to the prayer of silence as practiced by those who are very far advanced in their spirituality, clever and lazy patients can be taken in by it for quite a long time. At the very least, they they can be persuaded that bodily position makes no difference to their prayers, for they constantly forget 
what you must always remember, that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> whatever their bodies do affects their souls. God suggested to me quite some time, well, re relatively recently, I, I was reading a book that suggested that I, that I should spend time prostrate before the Lord. And it was only a book, it was only a suggestion in a book, but actually it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. But, you know, I could reason my way out of that. I did, for days and days and days and days and days. I don't need that. Won't make any difference whether I'm face down or not face down. God knows my heart. God's, God understands my, my devotion to him. He understands my, my heart attitude. It's not about whether I'm on the floor or not. And I resisted. And every time I read this particular book that I was reading, it kept saying, have you had your time on the floor yet? Have you, have you been face down before the Lord yet? Have you tried it yet? And I'm like, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't need to. You know, I know how to pray. I, I love the Lord with all my heart. And I just resisted. Until in the end, the Holy Spirit kind of upped the ante with me and really convicted me about it. So I got down on my face in my dining room and all heaven broke loose. It was just amazing. Something physical that I did had an enormous impact on me spiritually. Now, I'm not suggesting that everyone has to do that. I'm just giving it as an example. That I really was humbled by getting right down low in a way that telling myself, God knows my heart, wasn't achieving. Like it says, what we do with our bodies affects our souls. I wanted to then to just give you some examples from scripture of ways in which we can choose what we, do with our, what we do with our bodies, how we engage our bodies in acts of deliberate worship to God. <coughs> I was reading a book that I found in Tim and Sue's house this weekend and came across this, this phrase. Um, Be intentional and beneficial in your service of God intentional and beneficial. I really like that. Choose on purpose to do good things as acts of worship. Isn't that great? Choose on purpose. Be intentional and beneficial. A word that I like a lot, that God uses a lot in my own life, is deliberate. I'm a deliberate Christian. I'm deliberately following Jesus. I'm doing it on purpose. I'm choosing on purpose to follow him. It's not passive. It's not, well, if God wants me to grow, you know, he'll organize it, he'll do all the arranging, he'll cause me to... No, I'm, on, I'm deliberate about this. I'm doing it on purpose. Let's be those people. Let's be deliberate, intentional, intentionally beneficial for God. We've just got a few bits of the body that we can present. So present the parts of your body as, a, as in righteousness. What about our hands? The scripture is full of what we do with our hands. Full of it. Some of it is all is worship related. So we, we kind of identify with that really easily. In the Psalms it says, Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands towards your most holy place. What about it for you the first time you ever lifted your hands in worship? It made a difference, didn't it? It made a difference. It changes how you see yourself in relation to the one you're praying to when your hands are lifted. 
Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Someone whose hands are not condemning him. Prayerful things in 1 Timothy 4 says, I want you to lift up holy hands in prayer. We laid hands on one another this morning. That's an important thing. Do you know what? Laying, the laying on of hands is as foundational in Christianity as baptism or repentance. It says that in Hebrews 6. It's one of the basics. It's, one of, it's like Christianity, page one. Repentance from dead works, baptisms, faith, and all that. Laying on of hands. There's something that happens when, when, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and God has use of our hands. There's something important when we put our hands in God's service and we lay them on one another and we can impart in the Holy Spirit something of the power of God. But if you think, well, I'm not doing that, and you're in charge of your hands, then, then it won't come off. Here's something, maybe less what we might call conventionally spiritual. In Ephesians 4, it says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those who need, who are in need. I've met some people who say, well, if God wanted to me to have all my needs met and if God wanted me to have enough money and if God really loved me and blessed me and he didn't want me to not have any food in my cupboards, he would just give it to me. But because it just doesn't land in my lap that maybe God doesn't love me. Well, what's wrong with doing something useful with your own hands, if you possibly can, if you're enabled, if you're if you're still if you still have strength, then the word tells us to do that. You've got an opportunity next year to ne- not next year, next week, to do something really useful with your hands. You've got to bring and share. It's a spiritual act of worship to prepare a salad or make a topic. Don't think that's got nothing to do with being a Christian. It's got everything to do with being a Christian because it honors God and glorifies the Lord when you want to bless one another. We've got feet that don't have to walk to the fridge when God has said, don't walk to the fridge. We've got feet. God said to Moses, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children. God likes our feet. He likes feet. The psalmist said, he set my feet on a rock. He's given me a firm place to stand. That's kind of metaphorical for not falling, not falling. But you know what? We can actually put our physical feet in a good place or a bad place. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's no point praying that if you're then going to let your feet walk you into temptation. No good praying, lead me not into temptation. If you take yourself there with your own legs and feet, some places we go are not good for us. Some of the things we run around doing are not a blessing, and they won't help us to become strong Christians. Be careful what you do with your feet. Be careful where you let them take you. This walk that someone's organising, you're organising a walk. You need feet to do that. Great opportunity. Bring someone along. Get involved. Enjoy fellowship. It's fabulous. Just as much a part of being a Christian as anything else. The word's got a lot to say about our eyes. What do your eyes rest on? What do they desire? What do they feast on? Psalm 119, 37 says, Turn my eyes away from worthless things. 
and preserve my life according to your word. So much of our time, we can have our eyes trained on worthless things and sometimes not even know it. I've got a friend who confided to me not long ago that she stopped buying kind of house and home magazines. She stopped buying them because she said she found the more she looked at them, the less satisfied and content she was. And that made her grouse more about how about it wasn't how she thought it should be. She didn't have all the lovely gadgets and the really posh rugs and the shiny, sparkling bathroom. She didn't have that in her house. And the more she looked at those magazines, the more dissatisfied and fed up and discontented she was. So she's turned her eyes away from it. She's not, she doesn't buy them anymore. And I think good for her. Because actually what God wants from her is a praise, a praise and thanking heart, regardless of whether a bathroom looks like the kind you see in house and home or wherever. I don't like catalogues. You know, like the Ikea catalogue and the Next catalogue and all those catalogues. I don't like them because they make me cover. They make, they make me cover. They make me think, ooh, ooh, ooh. Ooh, all the sparkly things. I'm a bit of a magpie, Steve will tell you. I'm, I like sparkly things. I like you know, things that glitter. <laughs> but, you know, it's true. All that glitters isn't gold. <laughs> yeah, and it's good for me not to look sometimes. Matthew 6 says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Fix our eyes on Jesus. It doesn't mean you can't look. It doesn't, that's not what it means. But it means be careful. It's, it's what you do with your eyes. What do you look at on the internet? Do you know what? There's some stuff that you can look at on the internet that will destroy you, ruin you. But God gives us the power and the equipping in the Holy Spirit to not do it, to turn our eyes away from worthless things. And it's not a spiritual, in the ether, faffy about, up there thing. It's a practical thing we actually choose to do or not do. And that's how we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Same with our ears. We have heard with our ears, O oh God, what our fathers have told us, what you did in their days in long ago. Proverbs says, apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. There are some things that when we listen to them, when we apply our ears to them, they really do us good. And some things that frankly don't. In 2 Timothy it says this, for the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. I've had some conversations with people quite recently who are doing that. They're letting their ears listen to teachers who are saying just what they want to hear, things that just make it sound okay for them. But it's not the truth. It's not really scripture. There are some things we shouldn't listen to. We shouldn't listen to false teachers. We shouldn't listen to stuff that just makes us feel good. We should check it against the word of God. We shouldn't listen to gossip. It's a difficult thing to say to someone who's gossiping, I don't want to listen to that. Can you stop, please? It's quite a difficult thing to do. But my ears don't need it. I do not need you to tell me the failings and foibles and ins and outs of, of the people I love. 
I don't need you to tell me that stuff. My ears are not blessed. I'm not blessed when I hear it. The word says gossip separates friends. That's what the word, that's, that's horrible, isn't it? Why would you want to go around separating friends? But that's what the word says gossip does. Don't, let, don't give it ear time. Don't give it lip time either. Let's not do it. Speaking of tongues and lips, Psalm 34, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Psalm 37, the mouth of the righteous man utters wisdom and his tongue speaks what is just. James talks a lot about the tongue. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, like I said at the beginning, this is not about being legalistic. This is about the wonderful, glorious opportunity that we have within the physical space that God has given us to glorify him. Isn't that just wonderful? You can choose. If you say lousy things, you won't be glorifying him. And if you don't, it's not, I must not say lousy things, that's that's the law. It's, no, I'm going to choose not to because I want to please God. And I want to bless you. I'm going to put my mouth to better use. This is, this is a, a positive thing. It says the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This is strong stuff. Let's be careful what we say. When we're bringing up our children, sometimes they don't understand why we would advise them that there are certain things it's good for them not to say. But it's still good to teach them that. And it's even better when they don't hear us say those things that we don't want them to say. So I hope you look look like you've been coming with me. What I'm just wanting us to do is be encouraged that being strong in the Lord and following Jesus and bringing glory to him with our life is, in the large part, as simple as making really godly choices gladly with what we do with our bodies. We are not just spirit. We do not float around on clouds getting to glory. We have stuff to do with our arms and legs and our ears and eyes and mouth. We have stuff to get on with. And how we do it and what we choose to do affects our growth in God. That's my message. And it's just wonderful because when you start seeing it like that, then you suddenly have, suddenly there is meaning in everything you do. Everything. You know, when you empty the washing machine or when, you, when you're loading the car with petrol or when you're giving someone a lift or when you're taking the kids to school or when you're walking around the office and greeting one. What you're physically doing with this, with all this, is just a delight to God. It's a blessing to the Lord and it causes us be growing because then we think wow I'm involved I'm involved in revealing what God is like to my world which is what we've been saved for isn't it let me just pray Heavenly Father I thank you that you made us with bodies thank you that you made us physical beings you gave us our, our physical being with which to experience and enjoy all that you've given us thank you and thank you Lord that you said all that was good Now, Lord, I pray that you'll help us more and more to understand what it means to offer this very body you've given us as a living sacrifice. 
as an act of worship, for us to see the very moving about, ordinary things that we do, Lord, as spiritual worship. Help us to grow in that. Help us, Lord, to find joy in it. Holy Spirit, will you just remind us? If we're exposing our eyes or our ears to things we shouldn't, then, Lord, just remind us. Steer us away. Turn us away from worthless things. Help us, Lord, to be fixed on you, to be constantly serving you with our bodies, to be delighting in you and blessing one another. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening.